so Captain America number 238 has a cover by John Byrne and Al Milgram uh, and is written by Peter Gillis, penciled by Fred Keita, colored by Bob Sharon and lettered by John Costanza. Uh, during Cap's briefing about a bunch of telepaths getting uh, picked off one by one, a powerful telepath contacts him to rescue her from Dovecote, a telepath called Snowfall. He braves mountain winds, mines, soldiers riding giant hawks, and cavalry, cavalry riding on giant extinct birds called diatremas, uh, before think, coming face to face with a guy called on steroids. <laughs> yeah, uh, before eventually coming face to face with uh, a guy called the Widowmaker. Um, you know. This is these issues are okay. Uh, yeah. We don't really. It's not a super interesting story, but by the same token, it's not a story we spend a lot of time on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, that's fine. Like, we don't have to spend a huge amount of time on this story because there's not really a ton to it and that's okay um so yeah so captain america number 239 has a cover by john byrne and terry austin uh is colored by nil yamtov and lettered by joe rosen widowmaker has caps on the rope when snowfall convinces his mysterious boss that widowmaker and captain america have joined forces causing the boss to call Widowmaker off. Cap then finds his way to this guy called Mindmaster, who's a Submariner villain, and saves Snowfall, only to discover that she's actually a young girl. Um, As he's trying to lead her out of this dovecote, Snowfall is just like, yeah, uh, I know what's coming, and it's best if I don't affect it, so bye. And... That's it. I don't think we ever see Snowfall again. So, you know. Yeah, I'm not actually sure what the ending is saying. It definitely has that I'm trying to say something. But I'm like, I don't know what you, what are you trying to say? That little girls should well, walk off cliffs? <laughs> <laughs> like okay yeah I, well when you that's when a you, message i can get behind when you talk about it saying something are you talking about it turning out that she's a young girl or it turning out that she's like no i'm not gonna go back to civilization with you the, the or what? one it's the the i don't just i'm not just a telepath i'm also a precog and i have seen what's coming and if i that if I'm involved in any of it, that'll affect how it plays out, and it needs to happen the way that it needs to happen. So I'm gonna, you know, stir up this wind and walk off a cliff. And it's like, well, so? Well, I don't know. Like, I don't know that it's necessarily trying to say anything. Uh,. I think maybe, maybe they're just trying to seed something, you know. Headcanon, this Claremont, is Lila Millo. 
Lila Miller. Sure. Fake um, The The thing about it is, like, you know, um, except Layla would have uh, wings at this point, if that were the case. But I never read the rest of that run. Of well, it. no, it's just when they revealed when they revealed kind of what her deal was it was before m day she had mutant powers that were not her knowing stuff knowing stuff and actually her knowing stuff isn't a power uh it's just her from the future telling her everything that was going to happen ah yeah uh but her powers before M Day were she had like butterfly wings. Um, but the thing about it is, like, I feel so when it's all said and done, you know, one thing that Chris Claremont did a lot was he was just constantly throwing out story threads. Yeah, it's um, true. That he could then choose to revisit later or what have you. And so that's why, like, every book of his is packed with just, like, characters doing stuff that you're like, what the fuck was that? And then eventually he, eventually someone reminds him and he's like, oh yeah, so this is why they did that. Um, And that, I feel like maybe that's what this is, is just, you know, they were like, okay, let's create a character that may come up later. Who knows? Uh... We'll see. Um, so, yeah. It's, like I said, it's a fine story. It has about as much life to it as it deserves. Yes. Uh, and that's fine. Like, knowing some stories, some stories don't know when to go away. You know? That's true. Uh and this we one just does. Read a, we just read a Thor story that didn't know when to go away. Oh my god, yeah. So, you know, cool. Like, tell your story and then you're done. Yeah. Great. Uh, Power Man and Iron Fist number 56 has a cover by Bob Layton and is written by Mary Jo Duffy, penciled by Trevor Von Eden, Inked by Frank Springer, colored by George Russo's, lettered by Tom Orzakowski, and edited by Al Milgram and Mary Jo Duffy. Uh, one thing I will say. Um, uh, the art here... The art here is, you know... It is very... One of the best ways to tell who is actually a good comic book artist um, or a good comic book writer uh, how well a team works together is how many times do you have to go back and read shit to figure out what the fuck's going on Um, and that these are not good issues uh, in that regard because I had to go back and reread a couple of things where like 
the order of events was really confused because, um, you know, comic, comics are unique in that they are able to show several instance, instances, several instances in time in a single pad, panel. Mm-hmm. You know, in that in a single panel, somebody will be saying a thing, thinking a thing. Uh, another character will throw a punch at them and they will dodge. Mm-hmm. You know, so even though it's a single panel, it is 45 seconds of real time. Um, and knowing how to use that properly is a skill. Um in this, there's, like, brief snapshots and, like, not a lot between them. Not a lot of implied action. And I'm like, how did this person get from here to what? Um, there is one time in this where it leads to a kind of a funny moment. But I think that's largely unintentional. Um, <laughs> because there's a, there's a scene where they are... They are going after this truck that has a um, sarcophagus in the back of it, and they disappear, and then the only thing you see is this truck, and then a dude's head smashes through the window. <laughs> and like I said, I, given the way the rest of this issue reads, I don't think that's what this Trevor Von Eden set out to do. I feel like that was more something that just happened in spite of him um but yeah it's not it's not great but luke is having issues with the partnership uh they get a new secretary as jiren hogarth goes off to deal with rand international rand meacham stuff uh and heroes for hire is contracted to protect an exhibit of king tut's treasures they are contracted by these two guys, Professor Marydew and Professor Abdul. Um, while they are guarding the treasures, an attempted robbery exposes that all of the artifacts have been replaced by forgeries, which leads Power Man and Iron Fist to Professor Abdul, uh, a.k.a. the living monolith, who then grows into the his giant form. Um, you know... The the issues between Luke and Iron Fist in this are really the most interesting thing. Oh, absolutely. In that, um, you know, Luke is chafing at the fact that his normal clientele are not going to be able to afford their new prices. Uh-huh. He's chafing at the fact that he's broke and Danny, you know, Danny, Danny is rich and he's generous toward Luke. But Luke doesn't like it. He doesn't like uh, feeling like he has to, you know, be taken care of by Danny. And that's all very interesting. The rest of this, I don't care. <laughs> you know, the it's, yeah. Um, and Danny, Danny is completely oblivious in all of this. He's just like, hey, man, what's what's bothering you? And Luke's just like, man, just shut the fuck up and get away from me for a minute. And Danny's like, Luke, what? What is it, Luke? 
Luke. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so Power Man and Iron Fist number 57 has a cover by Bob Layton and Danny Crespi and is lettered by Irving Watanabe and edited by Al Milgram. Uh, the heroes for hire team with the X-Men against the living monolith who's discovered a source of power other than Havoc. Mm -hmm. um, it turns out that that is a pyramid and keeping three other guys in sarcophagi in trucks that just kind of drive around, and he's like the focal point, which seems like a giant hassle as far as power sources go. Um, uh, no, it is the... Kind of, the 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 crystal pyramid is the focal point okay of the of the triangle that the hassle is keeping them away keeping the three dudes away from it's still a hassle it's not great yeah. it sucks yeah yeah it it's <sighs> um and one thing that i love is once they figure this out and they rob living monolith of his power um they're just like, so what do we do with this ancient antiquity? <laughs> and the guy from the museum's like, well, it's not really all that vital as far as the rest of the exhibit goes. And Iron Fist is just like, okay, and smashes it. Um, here we have kind of the beginning of Colleen and Cyclops actually, like, getting together. Like, yeah. they've met in passing maybe but this is the first time that they're just like hey what's up you know my girlfriend's dead so if you wanted to like hook up we could probably do that which gross scott um but anyway yeah like i said it eh, whatever <laughs> it's a living um, monolith story is kind of yeah. my problem with it as soon yeah. as it becomes completely evident that we're doing a living living monolith thing i'm like all right sweet i'll see you in a couple of pages because I'm yeah go i'm gone um yeah so yeah um so x-men number 122 has a cover by dave cockram terry austin and gaspar saladino and is written by chris claremont and john byrne penciled by john byrne inked by terry austin Colored by Glynis Ween, lettered by Tom Orzakowski, and edited by Roger Stern. Um, the short version of all of this is uh, the X-Men all engage in personal drama. Jean Grey meets Jason Wingard, and Bla Black Tom and Juggernaut hire Arcade to kill the X-Men. Um, the bulk now, of the the bulk of the issue is. Um, Wolverine drops Storm off in uh, which section of is this Brooklyn? I for, I forget offhand. He drops um, her off in the city and is like, "Hey, it's kind of rough out, around here. You want some? You want some help?" And she's like, "No, I got to do this by myself." And he's like, "All right," um, and she goes. She goes wandering around looking for her parents' old home. She finds it, goes upstairs. It's a people. It's kids using heroin in her old home. Uh, mm -hmm. They jump her for money 
because she looks loaded um and she kind of she's trying to like be like okay this was a bad situation for everyone here let's just calm down one of them cuts her hand she loses her fucking shit and is like i am a fucking goddess you will bow you getting down this was a bad plan for you um but she's trying still trying to just keep them at bay uh misty and luke arrive to stop one of the one of the kids from stabbing her in the back um aurora was apparently born in manhattan we did know that I believe that's where this is supposed to be. Yes. Is the actual island of Manhattan. Um, I just didn't know which section. Uh, But as Wolverine was driving away, Mariko's in town. Which, he's like, holy shit! Also, what is she doing here? Why didn't I know about it? Um, He gets stopped at the door of the Japanese consulate, though, and is not allowed in. Right. Um... We have Scott getting closer to Colleen, um, and we have, uh, you know, everybody kind of, Colossus is dealing with his doubts about, should I have come with the X-Men or should I have stayed in Russia? Um, You know, everybody's kind of got their own stuff going on. Uh, Meanwhile, you know, we've got, We've got several plot threads that we're starting to introduce. One is the disappearance of Angus McWhirter, the guy who rents boats and shit, uh, which is going to lead us into the Proteus story arc. We've got Jason Wingard introducing himself to Jean Grey, which is going to lead us into the Hellfire Club, um, and then eventually Dark Phoenix, um, and so on and so on. But uh, and also there's stuff happening in se- on on Central with uh, Lalandra and Xavier. Where right, Lalandra is being crowned, crowned. Shiar Majestrix, um, and you know Xavier is just like I'm really happy for, her and this is really weird. I this is outside. Uh, like, do I? What am I doing? <laughs> like, you know. Yeah, I. I I, I like his, I'm just here to support you. And she's like, I don't even know if this is really a thing that I want anymore. And because she says things were much more simple when we were still on earth. And it's yeah. like, well, this was your idea. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really glad Xavier for once has the, the presence of mind not to just point that out and because I feel like a lot of the times he would just be be really fucking snarky and be like, well, in a, this was your idea yeah, vein. And he's just like, nope, not going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah, a lot, the bulk of, like I say, the bulk of the action in the issue is with Storm. Um, and other than that, we get a lot of things just sort of set up. Yeah. Um still so, I still like the cap issue though. I actually enjoy this because the moments that we get, the quiet moments that we get with each character are impactful. Like we're yeah. d- we're moving the needle on all these people, which right. is impressive. Yeah, absolutely. 
so X-Men number 123 has a cover by Terry Austin and Danny Crespi. Uh, the X-Men are abducted by Arcade. Uh, Spider-Man has the biggest overreaction of all time. And the X-Men are put through fiendish traps designed to kill them while Colossus gets brainwashed by a robot of a KGB... Uh, Colonel. Colonel. Um, you know, so... Arcade is able to play on Colossus's Colossus already existing doubts, um, which I think is really interesting, and turns him into the proletarian. Um, stuff like that. The arcade stuff is just <coughs> like we kind of we can kind of gloss over it, but I, uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it is. You know, like I don't get, I don't know that we need to spend too much time with like each trap and what they do and what there's for, but right. like because that part's less interesting to me. It's like his reactions to it in the background while he's taunting the girlfriends is so much fun. With him, it's just... very camp. Like yeah, it's but very that's like fine. It yeah. works. With it like, works the... for him. Yeah. Now, the one thing that bothers me about Arcade is the fact that he, when we get the glimpses of his origin here, he's a rich kid uh, who discovers he's really good at killing, so he just becomes a hired murderer. Uh, eventually he gets bored with that and that's when he starts doing the murder world thing and that's fine. But, uh, the, the thing that I find funny about Arcade is the fact that he, he, the way he describes it is, uh, is that he's like the top of his game as a killer but then every time, like any time somebody gets through his fiendish death traps, he's a total glass jaw. Like, oh yeah, he's and I and and the thing about it is, like, the more I think about it, the more I like that because it is just him, just filleting himself and just being like, "Yeah, I was so good at it," and then like every, you know. Every other, like, trained killer, like, Bullseye is just like, yeah, and, like, mixing shit up with people. And Arcade is just like, not the face! Like, you know? Well, and then, like, from a character design, like, they do this thing, this issue, when we spending time with him. And even the, the like, the page splash of la uh, in the first issue, um, or the previous issue, he's he's got a face. That it's, like, so smooth. And, like, I just, you know, like, they did such a good job of, like, give me a guy you want to punch. Give yeah. me a dude that your grandmother wants to punch. Like, uh, give me the a... Ger the German word is Bachpfeifengesicht. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Which means a face in need of a slap. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's <laughs> what he has. Oh, you're just like, oh, punch him, punch him in the face. Um, and he's... He's great for that. Like, I yeah. don't, I, I understand why everybody gives Arcade some shit. But, like, I was, I was the same way. Like, up and, like, when I read Avengers Arena, I was like, 
holy shit, this is dark. Like, because it is. Um, I didn't know this. This feels, it felt out of character for our arcade because I had only really been introduced to him through the Spider-Man cartoon or the X-Men cartoon or maybe some of the comics in the 90s. Like that mm-hmm. sort of arcade where it was way overdone. Yeah. This, it does feel truly sinister throughout most of this. And I like it. Um, yeah. I'm here for that. And neat. I got nothing I, else. <laughs> I Arcade is one of those characters that... Had they not driven driven him into the ground, I think would have been a lot of fun in that he's like a sinister Willy Wonka carnival barker type guy. He's got this, you know, he's got like the bamboo cane and he's just like, step right up. We're going to have some fun. And that fun is stabbing people in the face (laughs) and, you know, and... It it works the way it is. It doesn't... I don't need it to go... It's just... Leave it alone. It's good. Yeah. It's good. Um, but yeah. Uh, Spider-Man's overreaction I find hilarious because he calls the X-Mansion and he manages to get Storm on the phone for a second before she gets tranked. And he's just like, no! And he explodes this fucking phone booth and it's just like i think i don't think that was necessary peter i don't think you needed to do that pete i think uh you needed that was yeah you you didn't need to destroy public property yeah uh so yeah but the uh the other thing i want to talk about is storm's nipple uh okay no, there, there's a, there's a really, so, okay. So, here is the thing. Uh, a lot of, a lot of the time when you read, like, reprints, uh, whether it's in trade paperbacks or on Marvel Unlimited or something like that, they've been recolored. They've, ta- they've taken the original pencils and inks and they have, uh, removed the you know they've ignored the way that it was colored originally uh in this case by who was it glenniswing yeah they threw out glenniswing's colors and um they have gone off of the original inks so when storm gets out of the shower in this issue if you look at the original comic, like you buy a standalone uh, issue of 123 from the 70s, Storm's robe is slightly open and there is a shadow on her breast. I mention this because when, when... John Byrne or Terry Austin were doing this page. Somebody drew in the nipple to make sure that they had, you know, the anatomy correct. Right. But then when it was colored by Glenna Sween, she covered it up. It is a straight bar of black down her, down her breast. 
when this was originally reprinted in um the first time this came up was in essential x-men volume two they reprinted this in black and white without the coloring and john burns pencils or terry austin's inks i don't know which you can kind of make out her nipple uh if you if you go and read it on marvel unlimited or what have you because they've recolored them they did not cover that up and so you can kind of make out storm's nipple yeah it's it's a weird thing it's like I said, it goes to the collaborative nature of comics, but it also goes to how when you print it in a way other than what was originally intended, it can have unintended consequences. In this case, showing Storm's nipple to young readers. Uh, you know, and Essential X-Men Volume 2, like those were newsprint black and white copies of these comics that were cheap and so, like, you know, a lot of it was parent. I remember working in the comic shop. We had a lot of parents buying essentials issues or essentials trade paperbacks for their kids because they were like 10 bucks for a fucking yeah, two-inch comic right. uh, trade paperback. Um, and so, as a result, a lot of kids saw Storm's nipple. Uh, I remember... When I was a kid, uh, I read these issues in one of the uh, one of the digests that they would put out, like a little paperback. Uh, that was where I first read these issues. I don't remember that being in there. So I don't know how it wound up that that was the first time this issue popped up. But yeah, if you're reading a reprint of any sort, whether on Marvel Unlimited there's a better than average chance you're you can make out her nipple in the shadow. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Just uh, wanted to talk about that and how that was not what they meant to do in the seventies. Um, but anyway, uh, X-Men number one twenty four has a cover by Dave Cockrum and Terry Austin uh, and Gaspar Saladino. Uh, the X-Men managed to survive Murder World and bring Colossus back to his sen- senses by telling them that they're not just a team, they're a family. Uh, you know, uh, very Dominic Toretto. Uh, and uh, Arcade, Arcade being, despite being a psychopath uh, who murders people for money, he has his own weird code of honor, uh, which is kind of a cliche at this point, but whatever. Uh, and so he's just like, okay, you escaped. I will let you go free this time, but I am going to be gunning for you. Um, and yeah, like we were talking about, it's it's a lot of fun. It's very, you know, again, don't take it serious. It's yeah. It's people in giant plexiglass pinballs getting bounced around and Nightcrawler getting attacked by bumper cars. Like, which it's all good. I wanted to ask, and I meant to look it up, so, is, are they called Dodgems in German? Because he calls them Dodgem cars instead of bumper cars. And I'm just like, 
That's a weird... That's either a weird Chris Claremont thing, or that's the way it is in German. I don't know. You know, uh, let me see. The... Um, the thing is, um, apparently that was the original name for them. Um, they were, they were meant to be called Dodgem cars. Hmm. Um, and it seems like by and large, uh, they were, um, because because the because according to what I'm seeing here, they weren't originally intended to be bumped. Yeah, they did not have the uh, the intention of having like the, you know, you running into other people. You were actively trying to avoid that, um, and so I think it largely depends on just where you're at and what they're called. Okay, so. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. If you've never heard them called that, they sometimes called Dodge em cars. And if you've never heard them called bumper cars, sometimes Dodge em cars are called bumper cars. That's it. Shall we do top five? Top five. The Watcher's Guide's Top Five. All right, top five. We threatened you, you earned it. Okay. Uh, number five from me. Remember those weird kids from forever ago? Yes, they saved the earth. What? Okay, fine. Uh, number four. Balder brings the party down. Um, because poor baby was dead for a dead-ish for a year. He's been to the brink and hung on to dear life, I guess. I don't know. Uh, actually, the thing is, is uh, I think it's goofy, but also when he leaves and then Thor goes out and finds him on a park bench and is like, hey, buddy, what's up? You want to talk to your buddy Thor about what's going on? It's actually a nice moment of it is. Thor being a good dude. Um, and him coming back and... Sif being like, so what's up with him? She's like, he's like, well, I kind of get it now. We should have probably cared a little more to check in on Balder. Um, and when they, the opening shot of that party is, has, um, Carnilla basically draped all over a mopey Balder and being like, I'm so happy you're back. I kind of want a page. I won't, I wouldn't have mind four or five panels of Carnilla and Balder like getting meeting again. Like that would have been okay yeah. with me. Anyway, uh, number three is pre nineties arcade. It's good. Read the stories. Yeah. They're good. And they're, he's sinister and evil. And I love it. Um, number two is, uh, X-Men 122 just in general, uh, again, for and for the same reason that number one is just the entirety of cap 237 just yeah because we get to spend quiet moments with each one of our characters to learn things about them without having 
a shitload of like expository dialogue or like this is how I feel sentences like we just hang out with them and right it's good um right. I, I I enjoy that especially on X-Men well no cap is number one because that had the opportunity of being terrible right it, it really did another mm-hmm. another friggin issue of steve wanders around moping about how he can't have everything all at the same time having his reaction to sharon be to to the presumptive death of sharon carter be disappear for a week and show back up and be like okay i'm here um if you need me i am still captain america i'm gonna go live in my new apartment bye and everyone's just kind of like all the avengers that are there are just like all right steve you okay and he's like no but i'm working on it um i'll talk to you later and then he goes and has this dinner learns what captain america means to somebody else and then just sits with it like he doesn't go upstairs and have a you know two-page inner dialogue about whether or not it's just like well okay yeah clearly this is important um Mm -hmm. that's really good uh x-men is number two because you know we don't have to it it doesn't always have to be that kind of a life-changing thing it's just hanging out with storm as she goes through a bit of a thing to try to reconnect with her past that goes terribly wrong and not in the expected ways right or um hanging out with wolverine when he gets done with having dinner with marika and like holy shit that's still a thing um and it's all good so yeah that's me yeah oh pd at the beginning is fucking great too do what peter at the beginning is fucking great too uh um yeah colossus peter Um, yeah it, it just just the fact that and wolverine is actually like not good right but like his the way he handles it is very wolverine but like it's very wolverine but it's also very insightful yeah it's like it's what he needed it's not specifically what i would have done but it's the way wolverine would do what needed to be done which is yeah get out of your head like you're not gonna let me die you dummy um yeah you think you think you can't do this i know you can come on and uh him being like him crushing the the pneumatic press and being like you're right i knew i could i just man i'm going through some shit it's like okay that's fine it's just like when it comes to this stuff you're still here and he's like okay yeah i get you all right that's good yeah so that's um you know yeah yeah uh Number five for me is so Odin hung himself on the tree because he was sad about the whole thing. And then unrelated to that, (laughs) he found out about the Celestials. Because it is. It's just so, like, whatever. Like, you could have, you had all this time. You could have connected it up a bit better. And the fact that, I'm almost kind of impressed that they didn't because it was seriously just like 
And then anyway, this happened. And it's just like, oh, you're just not even going to fucking bother. Nope. <laughs> uh, no, sir, I am not. All right, well, uh, any chance to hang out it on a tree, I guess. <laughs> you know, like, that's that's his thing, is hanging on a tree and fucking planets. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, number four is uh, Spider-Man's overreaction. Because I love the idea of, like, someone working for Bell who's... Whose job it is to like service the, <laughs> the service phones. the phone booths and like, you know, they get called and they're like, hey, we have a phone booth out, uh, at the at this corner, and he's like, okay, I bet I know what it's gonna be. Like somebody will have vandalized it, or somebody will have taken a giant shit in the <laughs> phone booth. Like there will be graffiti. There will be like somebody will have ripped the receiver off, whatever. Or they've and then tried it gets to. They tried to break into it to steal the quarters. So now that right. the receivers or you know the entire mechanism's all fucked up, and then they get there and it's just gone. <laughs> yeah, it's just like shards of metal and glass with like the remains of a phone there, and like they're just like. What the fuck? <laughs> and he what goes, is with this city? <laughs> he goes into a shop and is like, hey, can I borrow your phone? And they're like, there's a payphone outside. No, there isn't. That's kind of the there problem. <laughs> there isn't. That's kind of the problem. I'm from Bell. I'll get you reimbursed or whatever. Uh, and he calls back to the office and he's like, there's more than a... This is not a problem. This is a. This is a... This is an ex-parent. This is a no, this is no longer a phone booth. Um, you're going to need to bring a whole new one in. Oh, um, there's nothing I can do. <laughs> I can't fix what isn't there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like <laughs> if you were to set this in the present day, obviously there wouldn't be a phone booth. Right. But uh, it would just be like, this sort of situation would just be somebody like taking a picture of it with their, with their cell phone and texting the picture to their boss and just being like, what do I do? <laughs> I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with this, Bob. <laughs> Bob. Uh, and then at bell, they're looking down at their phone going, huh? Okay. Also, him. I like your your thought too of him having this person having a sort of existential crisis about what this city does <laughs> to things. Like, what is wrong with you? He's just wandering around. He just like goes in. He goes like, "Who the fuck destroyed the?" Like, he goes into the the laundromat. He's like, "Who destroyed the fucking telephone booth?" And it's like, "Ah, uh, it was Spider Man." God damn it! What is with this city? Yeah, like he was already a little like close to the edge with just the normal gross shit that people do to stuff. But then like that happens and he's just like, I gotta, man, I gotta go back to school. I gotta get out of this city. Like I gotta do I'm thinking something. Just, I'm, I, he's just like, maybe, you know, agriculture. I'll just go study agriculture. I'll, I'll get a loan from my parents I'll go buy a fucking farm in, in, in somewhere else. 
It doesn't even matter. I don't care. They don't deal with this shit in Montana. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, So, yeah. So, um, so that was number four. Number three is horny for shapes. Not only because I, I liked the idea of the character, but also just that whole conversation about like, what's great about comics and everything. That was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that. Whatever. Uh, number two, mine were the opposite of yours, but that's just primarily because I, I, X-Men was my, was my first love as far as comics go. So number two is Cap 237 for all of the reasons explained. And then number one is X-Men 122. Uh, like I said, Claremont is really good about, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, it's a very difficult balance, mm-hmm. uh, to strike in these sorts of things because they are, they're, they're soap opera, they're soap operas in that, like everything is melodrama, um, but it's hard to strike the right balance. You, if you go too far one way, then it's just pointless dudes punching the shit out of each other. And why should I care? And then if you go too far the other way, then it's like, I just want to see Spider-Man fight the Green Goblin, dude. Like, I don't care about Flash's PTSD <laughs> you know, or, and on and on and know, on, and like I, I need, yeah. The balance is is the is the thing because if you're gonna do a story about Harry Osborne, mm-hmm. we need to spend some time with his mental health, right? Like, mm-hmm. and how what what it is, um, mm-hmm. and the current state of it. But at the same time, like. Let's punch the Green Goblin, too. <laughs> like, I need to... It's a... It's... I like the melodrama, the, the the soap opera angle, because that's why I used to, like, think about... I used to think poorly of uh, when I was younger, and, I you know, I had friends that were into wrestling, and I was just like, wrestling is silly and dumb, mm-hmm. and why? And now I'm back... Totally the other way around, where it's just like, that's... I don't have the patience because I got all this other... I have comics that fill that mm-hmm. void. But, like, it's the same fucking thing. It so, absolutely is. I, so I'm no longer judgmental. I'm not even judgmental about, like, you know, people who are like, I I have to watch my stories on mm-hmm. daytime television. It's like, yep, go for it, dude. Like, if you're really into... Or 90210 or any of that shit. It's just like, it's all the same thing. Go for there it. Is, there is an itch that is being scratched by these things. Exactly. You can make fun of it all you want, but we all have that thing to some degree, whether whether it is, you know, and and there's, a, there's something to be said for, I mean, all sports are basically wrestling now. Sure. Um, well, baseball absolutely refuses to have any personality but that's because we have too many stodgy old dudes still well, commenting right. on it but uh, but you know when it 
with the rise with the rise of like 24 hour sports commentary in your ESPNs mm-hmm. and your Fox Sportses and yada 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 it it is very much the same way in that you know the commissioners are Vince McMahon and like you're getting into so much behind the scenes stuff that people are just like yeah so then what happened what did Barry Bonds do yeah you know and stuff like that and it's the same sort of thing um whatever scratches that itch for you mm-hmm. whether it's south korean dramas whether it's comics whether it's wrestling whether it's you know soap operas on television whether it's gossip about the people at the office like there's something that that is tapping into to some degree um no person is out here reading only anna karenina every yeah. you know like that's the only like level of thing they intake. No, no, no. People will claim they are. Oh, yeah. People will claim they are. There was a. There was a. Um, <coughs> what was it? Uh, Wyatt Cenac. Uh, Wyatt Cenac had a bit where he was talking about he had a neighbor who was this hot woman, and he was like really into her, and she did the whole like, well, I don't own a TV. Uh, and he's like, oh, okay, well, that's a weird thing to be bragging about, but okay, like, cool. But then she starts talking about, like, what's going on on Top Chef, and he's like, wait a minute, you don't own a TV. And she's like, well, I watch on my computer. And he's like, that a computer is a super TV. <laughs> that's all it is. Like, your TV, if anything, your TV is worse Cause like I at least take breaks. I at least like if I have to shit, I can't wheel the TV in with me. But you can bring your laptop in there and still just continue consuming all the same bullshit that you would have with a TV. You are not better than me. Yeah, and 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 it's fine. Like that's okay. Yeah, we all high and low art first of all, are not as distinguishable as people make them out to be. A lot of the, a lot of the discourse surrounding that is bullshit. Uh But more importantly, um, they both serve, serve their purposes and that's okay. Yeah. Like you start getting uppity about like, ugh, read a book. Like people should read a book occasionally it's okay to enrich yourself in lots of different ways. And that's why I watch a lot of different movies. I read a lot of different books. I've read everything. I've read tons of shit. I've read, you know, all kinds of shit. And also I read comics, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And it's, and first of all, first of all, like it, it enriches your enjoyment of the things you consume. Uh, you know, I was sitting there talking about Ted Lasso and talking about this character of Nate and how he is, he's like Uriah Heep from uh, David Copperfield. And there are a lot of parallels to be made between the characters and stuff like that. Um, is he and... the CGI one? Do what? <laughs> Is it there? There's an online conspiracy theory that one of the characters in Ted Lasso is completely CGI. I have not seen that. No, 
No. Oh, shit. I've not seen the show at all, but I know about oh. this. So, yeah, no, uh, go go find... I don't remember which one which character it is, because I don't have... Oh, no, all... that was Roy Kent. That was Roy, Roy Kent. Kent. I okay. forgot about it. I did see something about that. Okay. About how... He's not uh, real. He's not Roy there. Kent is not real. <laughs> yeah. Uh Whatever. I don't... You know. Sorry. I derailed you. <laughs> no, um, you're you're fine. But like you know, not only not only can it you know enrich your consumption of the things that you enjoy, but also like you know it like there are going to be highs and lows to art, and it's important to experience them. You know, and I think like, it's important to meet them on their or meet art. It's important to attempt to meet on art on its terms, and mm-hmm. then also your own. Because yeah. you 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 simply consuming it also intrinsically alters my appreciation from yours. Um, mm. And because I've read Dune seven times and I've done watched all of these other things, like I don't need to watch Game of Thrones because I have Dune in my life. Like that's I'm good. Um, and I tried with Dune. I tried repeatedly. Dune is real hard for the first uh, book because it's divided. The first the first novel is divided into three books, and the first book is like actually the cool part. Um, but it's also the freaking just hardest just, part I've to get tried. through. I've tried. That's why, like the new movie coming out, a lot of people who otherwise generally don't care or still like yeah dune and i'm still just like i don't i don't care i've tried to care i you know i've there's a there was a time where like i felt like uh unless i knew at least something about a, everything <laughs> like uh i wasn't a real geek yeah and you know, for for one thing, I'm past that. But like, yeah, yeah, like there was a time where I was like, okay, gonna take another run at it, and no, and that's fine. Whatever, it's not for me. Um, the well, in the first book's the best part, and it's the and it's the least dry. It has the most betrayal, the most mm-hmm. death. The Gom Jabbar and the Hunter Seeker are the best parts, and they're right up at the front. Um, uh-huh. up until the very end of that first section where they're in the Thopter flying into the Sandstorm doing the Litany of Fear. I fucking love that story. Um, but I also completely see when people are like, <laughs> I can't get through it. I'm like, yeah, I know I get it. Um, yeah. Because even listening to it, I would say give the, give the audiobook a try. Um, Give, okay. give it a try. Um, Leto, Leto's awesome, and I don't get enough of him. Paul sucks in all the right ways. Like that's the other okay. thing that that's the other thing that might like blow. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. This is not a Dune podcast. <laughs> um, anyway, thank you. Yeah. So, do what? Thank you for allowing me to rant. I, I'm glad I caught myself. <laughs> I do. I mean, I do it enough. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna like. Uh, 
I'm not going to be like, how hypocritical <laughs> would I have to be to say after I just got done talking about a Wyatt's an act bit that I'm then just like, whoa, man, rein it in. All right. No one wants to hear your dude bullshit. <laughs> I let you do 45 minutes on toys. Toy tie-ins. Let me have five on Dune. <laughs> it was relevant to the conversation. <laughs> anyway. No, I, yeah. It, it's, uh... But anyway. High and low art have their... Yes. Have their, uh... Their places. And, you know, there's something fundamental to this stuff that connects with people even if that specific thing doesn't connect with you you know people people slag off um things that they don't like you'll see it with the mcu you'll see people talking about like uh how the line from wandavision about uh what is grief but love persevering and it's just like uh that's so trite and it's just like you know what if somebody connects to that, if that comes along at a, I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic where over 700,000 Americans have died, much less worldwide. Right. If somebody in the depths of their grief watches that and it connects with them, who gives a shit? Yeah. And you, if you are, a, if you are one of those people sneering at that, you have something that's connected to you that same way. And it, there's probably someone else who thinks that whatever connected with you is the dumbest shit imaginable. And that's fine, because we all do it. We all think everybody else's stuff is <laughs> bullshit, and our stuff is the best stuff, and everything else is a ripoff of it, or, or inferior yeah. to it, yeah. or, you know is a waste of money, whereas my waste of money <laughs> is the one true waste of money. And it's fine. Like, yeah, whatever. That's why a long time ago, it, I mean, I had it more of like a, I'm an atheist in a, in a very passive way where it's just like, just leave me alone. That's all I yeah. care about. I don't want you to proselytize to me, but, but you do your thing. As long as you're not hurting anybody, I don't give a shit. Um, right. right. And, but that extended to liking things like, yeah, I was a star Wars geek until the third movie of this recent trilogy. And then I kind of decided I don't like star Wars anymore, <laughs> but also the stupid bullshit around last Jedi where it was just like, I really enjoyed that. But then I got fucking demonized for enjoying this thing. It's just, it's just like, leave me alone. Everybody, go like your thing. Stop hurting other people because they like a thing. That's stupid. And, That's and bear in mind, stupid. And bear in mind, you don't have to, like, you can just stop caring about a thing past a certain point. Yeah. I love Die Hard. I love Die Hard. Four and five are not Die Hard to me. Four and as five. As far as I'm concerned... They didn't happen. Yeah. That's and also that's possible. Fine. Yeah. Die Hard 1 through 3 are enough for me. Here, like, that's fine. If we continue doing this for another five years, we're going to reach some comics where it's just like, and this is where I stopped. Yeah. Because they're not the, 
they, they aren't what they aren't scratching the, the things that I wanted scratched with comics anymore. Right. And that's fine too. Like right. if the if you grew up in the nineties reading comics and you're diehard about like Venom, go for it. Not my deal. Uh yeah. But you 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 can have it. Anyway. Uh so all of that to say, I guess be nicer to one another. We we all have our bullshit. Yeah. And we all, you know, we're, uh, there's no reason to fight over what somebody else's bullshit is. As long as that bullshit isn't actively hurting someone right. in some way, like it's fine. Yep. You know? Yep. And, and even so you can like a thing. What, you know, when I say isn't hurting someone else, like, you know, us giving, us giving money to Disney through our, uh, through a Marvel Unlimited membership or what have you. Yeah, but also, like, I will absolutely, I enjoy the stories, but will also fight tooth and nail to make sure that, uh, Disney treats, um, their creators their creators and their employees and just the world in general uh, more decently. And, yep. you know, we can contain multitudes, but like, unless, unless somebody, unless somebody's enjoyment comes from, you know, kidnapping and skull fucking people, like who cares? <laughs> like, no, just if you if somebody likes Twilight, let them like Twilight. Yeah, I was going to say if you're really into the Maze Runner movies for some reason, I don't that's not hurting me in any way, right? Yeah. Go for it, you know. Um, yeah. Or even, you know, it was the kind of thing that I had to come around to like there is a generation below mine and we've talked about this before maybe, but there is a generation below mine where the Star Wars prequels are Star Wars. And yeah. That's fine. You know, I it took me a while to, like, get my head around that, where it's like, the people really like Return of, or, uh, the second movie? Episode 2? Because Episode 2 is bad. Objectively bad. And, um, no, that's their Star Wars. And they love it. Okay. Fine. Okay. Well... That's the and that because trilogy is objectively bad in a lot of ways too. Yeah, but the pod like, if you were 7 and watched the pod race in episode 1, you thought it was the shit. And I'm like, yeah, no, absolutely. And because that I, part's yeah. that part's fantastic. Um and very Star Wars, and I'm okay with that. And the 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 fight with him flying through if you were 7 and Anakin flying the Naboo starfighter at the end of that first movie, is fucking rad. And also the, you know, War of the Fates is a kick-ass song. Like, if you're 10 and you have that song imprinted on your mind, yeah, I can see why you love those movies. But yeah. um, are they... We could argue up and down about whether or not they are good, but you love them. Go for it. I will also say the pod race has one of my favorite bits from... Uh, from the prequels, uh, in that at the, uh, at the beginning of the race, they're introducing each of the racers and 
one of them, <laughs> the little blue squeaky guy, sucked his into an wife. Engine. No, 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 not that. Not oh, that. Okay. Uh, there is one of the other racers. It's a little blue guy wearing a stupid hat. He, he they are, the announcer says that his wife is there, having just come from the hospital where she had another kid. And so they go, they take the time out to tell you his wife and children are in the audience <laughs> before the pod race begins, at which point he <laughs> splatters into a he fucking wall. splatters into a stalactite. And they and cut And they back. watch that happen. <laughs> like, they watch that happen. They see their husband and father get fused to the stone in that cave they see his weird little as as he plows into it that is what's going to haunt that child's memory for the rest of his fucking life like whatever else happens in that movie i'm great because i got to enjoy that moment of that child's world falling apart and it's a weird aside it's not it's not even the point of the movie it's just weird little alien baby sees its father get splattered and burned and it's great i love it fuck yes more of that george lucas less jar jar binks more of that more of me getting to imagine the stories of these other side characters wherein this funny little joke noise is like the last thing this kid, the last memory this kid will have of his dad is the weird expression he has right before his ass plows through his, his, his fucking spine and his speech centers. Like that, that is amazing to me. It completely validates the prequels to me. Okay. That is that is the moment where I'm just, you know, at the time I was just like, okay, yeah, you know, pod racing, whatever. But going back and rewatching them, I'm just like, fuck yeah, George Lucas, make more. Because yeah. I need more of the, this kind of shit. Hell yeah. All right, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> I can keep talking about, about no. this little weird Muppet guy. Uh, all day all day um that is it for us this week join us next week we're going to be reading some marvel team up uh some x-men and some power man and iron fist in the meantime rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts email us at watchersguide@gmail.com. like us on facebook follow us on twitter both individually and at watchersguidemu and visit our website at watchersguide.com where you can download episodes of the show and see all of the reading lists going back to the very first episode. Have a marvelous week. Bye. <laughs>